Hello, you are listening to Getting After Lefty, starring Gary Gatehouse, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We have good questions on the show, like... Uh, Mr. Obama, sir, I have a, just a quick question, if I can. Um, I was wondering, you know, just uh, where... Uh, where the hell is your birth certificate? Yeah, where's your birth certificate? It's Friday, and you're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show... Getting after Lefty Friday, anything goes. Let's roll. Buckle up, strap in. We're going to take a two-hour ride in Getting After Lefty. You know, folks, in politics, it used to be said, if you're out there on the campaign trail and you're looking over your shoulder, you're not saying the right thing. You're not doing the right thing. And it seems to me, Mr. Donald Trump, the man that I have uh, hooked my wagon to as far as the one I hope will be nominated, is looking over his shoulder. Now, you know yourself, ladies and gentlemen, anytime you have any endeavor that you take on, anything that you have established as a priority in your life, and you go at it full force, you don't let the outside influences that are hammering at you to try to influence you on to do something or deviate you from your focus on what you're trying to achieve. You just stay right on focus, right on point, and you keep on trucking. And all that uh, influence and all that uh, periphery around the outside of your attempt to do what you want to do is trying to change your train of thought or whatever, you don't pay attention to it. You focus and you keep on doing what you're doing. That's the way it's supposed to be. And Mr. Donald Trump, I'm speaking directly to you. You didn't get where you're at in business by losing focus on the carrot, on the brass ring, did you? No, you kept on trucking towards it. Everything that you built as far as your empire or whatever you want to call it in the business world was built on focus and able to concentrate on the deal on on hand, the deal that was presented to you at the time. You didn't let outside influences change your mind. You already knew what you wanted to accomplish, and by God, that's what you did. You stayed focused. It's no different in politics. It's no different in politics. Now, I have to say this, Mr. Trump. Name-calling, you know, in a lot of circles in America, including mine, it just don't cut it. Oh, I can. I don't uh, have any problem with you going out and calling the whole damn Congress a bunch of stupid people because most of them are. That is a truth. But stay off of this crap of calling uh, calling out people that are on the same campaign trail with you and start pointing the finger at them. Stay focused, Mr. Trump. Stay focused. Things will take care of themselves. Don't deviate. Stay on the straight and narrow. Straight, stay on the straight and narrow and to, uh, go after that brass ring, the nomination for the presidency of the United States to run for that office on the Republican side. Stay on focus. Now, I've heard a lot of rhetoric come out of all the mainstream media 
during and up to this day on Iowa, the Iowa caucus and uh, leading up to the New Hampshire caucus, it's all a bunch of damn hype. Whatever Fox News, whatever CBS News, whatever they can latch on to, whether it be for 10 minutes and drive something home and hype it up, or for the whole damn radio and news day, they will do it. Why? Because it generates listeners. And when you generate listeners and watchers, it generates revenue from the people who give their money to you to advertise their wares on TV. That's the bottom line. It's a money-making proposition. Whatever Fox News has to say or do, whatever fingers or toes they have to point or step on, or whoever's throats they have to step on, in a nice way, in Fox News, they do it very nicely and very subtly, but they do it to generate more news. When they get somebody up in front of them, they try their damnedest. To get that individual to say something that Fox News can grab and make a sound bite out of and run with it the whole damn television day if they can. So the bottom line is, on the campaign trail, you don't let those kinds of people trick you into anything. You don't let those kind of people like Fox News and CBS and NBC and CNN trick you into saying anything. You stay Focused, looking to grab or snatch that brass ring when it comes around for the last time. Now, all you folks out there that stand with Donald Trump, all you folks out there that throw, have thrown your hat in the ring to back Mr. Donald Trump, I'm going to say this. I think Mr. Donald Trump, between now and the time votes are cast in New Hampshire, is going to be in for a little bit of a rough ride. I can say this just by looking at the whole political scene in my own mind's eye and my own analysis. Right now, everybody's ganging up on Rubio, and rightly so, because Rubio is a senator. And you can take Washington, D.C. You can't do that. You can take the senator out of Washington, D.C., but you cannot take Washington, D.C. out of the senator. Well, what do you mean by that, Gary? It's already raised its ugly head. Look at Ted Cruz. Look at Rubio. They are both senators in the U.S. Congress. And there are certain tactics that senators and U.S. representatives use on the Senate floor behind closed doors in the cloakroom, whatever. There are certain tactics they use, political moves, to get their appointed, uh, a political opponent down on the floor where they can put their foot on their throat and get something accomplished. They can use lies, or as they like to say, mis mistruths, or they misspoke, but they're lies. They can use backstabbing. That's a damn good tactic. Patting a guy on the, on the shoulder while you're stabbing him in the back. That's a good congressional tactic. Getting up there and doing the little subtle things that undermines a person around you that has a different view either on the Senate floor or on the uh, House of Representatives floor, Congress overall. They have all kinds of political tactics. And we've seen some of them raise their ugly head on this political season. These campaigns that these senators and these governors are using, they know the tactics. The outsiders, Trump, Ben Carson, 
arena, they don't know these tactics. Now, they'd have their own set of tactics when closing or making a deal in the business world. We know that. All of us folks that have owned businesses, all of us folks that have been recruiters, all of us folks have, that have been in a, in a position where we address and uh, interact with the public, we know there are tactics there as well to get the public to like your, uh, I don't know, your race team, whatever. But they're not as harsh, and they're damn sure not as two-faced as the tactics used by senators and the House of Representatives people against when they use them against each other to achieve their goals. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, when you look at Marco Rubio, when you look at Mar- Marco Rubio, he is a guy that says the same thing over and over and over again. He addresses the same issues and responds to questions the same way, cut and dry, over and over again. He never deviates. Like I said, he's like a chatty chatty Cathy doll. You pull the string and let it go, and he starts spewing out his his speech. And it doesn't it doesn't stop until the spring go the string goes back into the chatty Cathy doll's back. That's the way Rubio is. Well rehearsed. But he doesn't deviate. I think if you would all ask him an off-the-wall question about something, he would find some way to take what he always says and inject it into answering that question, and you would come out with basically the same thing he says about everything else. I don't like the guy. I'm sorry, all you Rubio fans out there. I'm sorry. I just don't like the guy. There's something very, very Shadow, shadowy and dark about this guy. And need I remind you, need I remind the people who back Rubio, how many of you people out there that back Rubio stood against amnesty for illegals? How many of you did that? Now, if you were all for amnesty, then Rubio's your guy. But if at one time during the whole process of things, you stood shoulder to shoulder with those individuals in Congress that said we do not want immigration of illegals into our country. We do not want amnesty of illegals that are hanging out in our country, 18 to 20 million strong. You Americans out there, over 80% at one time, said we do not want illegals in this country. We want them gone. Well, along came the Gang of Eight. And the Gang of Eight, they were all for amnesty. They were finding and trying to invent new ways to hoodwink the American people into believing that the Gang of Eight, or they were standing with you, they were going to stop this amnesty, and by God, they were going to take care of business, when all along they were going to give all these illegals amnesty somewhere down the road. Rubio was part of that Gang of Eight. He stood right there with them. I heard an argument the other day that said, well, you know, he could... He uh, made a mistake. He didn't really know what what it was all about. Are you kidding me? He was a senator of the United States of America, and he didn't know what he was getting into. The older guys there, McCain and the rest of them, hoodwinked him and talked him into it. He knew exactly what he was getting into. Exactly. And when he gets on Univision and he gets on all these uh, Hispanic channels, television channels, he doesn't sit there and, and talk to them in English. He talks to them in Spanish. 
Just the other day on my show, I said there's, there is a movement in this country to change the official language, to make the, the official language of the United States English. That movement's been around for some time, but I have yet to see Rubio. I have yet to see Cruz. I have yet to see any of the governors. I have yet to see anybody, even Donald Trump, address this issue. Is it because they don't want to piss off Hispanics and they won't get their vote? Could that be the reason why? I think so. So they're all kowtowing to Hispanics. And a lot of Hispanics who are American, born and bred, support their brothers and sisters, the illegals in this country. And they have no regard at all for the Constitution when it comes to that issue. They would rather support illegals in in our country and have Americans support them, welfare, whatever, then stand by the Constitution of America, even though they are America, born and bred. I've said this many, many times, and I've never got a uh, absolute, what the hell are you saying from any Hispanic group whatsoever when I say it. They've never come back on me. They can't deny the fact that they would rather support their illegal brothers and sisters that come across our borders, break into our country, and say the hell with the Constitution and screw you American people, they would rather support them than they would be uh, support of the Constitution in which they were born under. The same Constitution that gives them and all of us the rights that we have that were given to us from God. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there comes a time when you've got to talk straight. You've got to call a spade a spade. You can't pull any punches. Now, Gary Gatehouse radio show is famous for that. And I do catch a lot of hell, but I don't give a damn. I will call a spade a spade. I don't care who it is, and I don't care who I offend, if the truth is the truth. And you know the old saying, sometimes the truth hurts. When it comes to Rubio, and when it comes to Cruz, you can get them both out of D.C., but you can't get Washington, D.C. out of them. We'll be back after the Phyllis Schaffer Report and a few messages. Hey, this is Gary Gatehouse, and I'd like to give you a hot flash here. Trade Martin, that's right, Trade Martin, famous producer, famous music writer, now has his own radio show on Sunday morning. That's right, Big Dog Radio. And you can get him on Big Dog Radio, blogtalkradio.com. Don't forget, every Sunday morning, 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. We'll be right back after the Phyllis Shafley Report. Stay tuned. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Mrs. Schlafly is a constitutional attorney, pro-family leader, and author of 25 books, including the best-selling A Choice, Not an Echo. And now, here's the founder of Eagle Forum, Phyllis Schlafly. Not only does the new Republican-passed budget fail to stop Obama's executive amnesty, known as DACA and DAPA, which two federal courts have said are illegal, but it quadruples the controversial H-2B program, which imports low-skilled foreign workers for blue-collar jobs that millions of Americans can do. That provision violates Paul Ryan's pledge not to push for higher immigration levels until the next president takes office. 
There's a reason that GOP voters are in open rebellion, Senator Jeff Sessions said when he learned of the surreptitious intentions behind this budget. Despite the recent massacres in Paris and San Bernardino, both of which were committed by Muslims loyal to ISIS who crossed national borders with impunity, the omnibus continues full funding for the resettlement of Syrian refugees without any additional screening. Despite the deaths of Kate Steinle and other Americans murdered by Mexicans who had previously been deported, there is no limit to federal subsidies for sanctuary cities. The omnibus also failed to block the EPA's clean power plan and waters of the United States rule, but it provided plenty of money which Obama can reallocate to the UN's Green Climate Fund. Paul Ryan's surrender was so complete that it's no wonder Obama sent kudos to him. As Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairman Steve Israel explained, we ended up with a bill today that has all the good stuff in it that the Democrats want and most of the bad stuff out. That's the definition of victory. Republican leaders' failure to make use of their historic mission to make good on their promises supports Rush Limbaugh's theory that Republican leaders are willing to throw away their current base. The phrase, a choice, not an echo, comes from the title of Phyllis Schlafly's history-making book. The newly expanded anniversary edition documents how presidential candidates have been nominated for the last 50 years. Get your copy at a special discount at eagleforum.org. The stakes are higher than ever. So please go online to eagleforum.org. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. This dude's going to tell us how to become an all-American boy.
sign here yet. I signed my name and became a star, having a ball with my guitar, driving a big long Cadillac, fighting the girls off in the back. They just kept coming, screaming. Yeah, they like it. Gary Gatehouse. So I pick my guitar with a great big grin and the money just kept on pouring in. But then one day my uncle Sam, he says, Here I am. Uncle Sam needs you, boy. I'm uh, going to cut your hair off. Uh, take that rifle, kid. Give me that guitar. So there you go, folks. If you want to be an all-American boy, you got to learn how to play guitar. You got to get in your hot licks. You got to head to Nashville, where all the girls will just fall all over you. That song came out way back when, and a lot of people said it was about Elvis Presley, and other people said no, it wasn't. So what do you think, you folks that know the life history or the story of Elvis? Was that story about him? I don't know. I really don't care. All American boys, as we know them today, you don't give them a guitar, you give them a video game. And they'll become all American boys. They'll be combat ready playing Halo. And they'll be able to tell you how many dudes they killed and how many points they got for killing them. That's an all-American boy today. A couple of bones hanging out of their ears, maybe some multicolored hair, standing around the Walmart jewelry counter just marveling at all the different earrings they can buy. Not all all-American boys are that way, but a bunch of them are. It's a sorry damn mess. Men in America today, men in Europe today, they don't know which ends up. They don't know if they're boys, girls, or one of the other 15 genders that are being taught and indoctrinated into our schools. Hell, they don't even know which bathroom to use anymore. And they don't even really know who's on the basketball team. It could be Billy dressed up as Jane, or it could be Jane dressed up as Billy. Who knows? That's America today. That's what our youngsters are faced with. Now, I was talking to a lady on Twitter here a while back. And we were talking about indoctrination clinics. Sometimes known, or more times known these days, as the public school system in colleges. Indoctrination clinics. And she was saying, well, you know, we've got to teach our kids at home, give them some values. I'm paraphrasing now. Give them some values so when they go to school and face all of this indoctrination, they'll have on those they'll have those values to lean on. And I said, Yeah, you're right. That's true. But as soon as they walk through that schoolhouse door, all bets are off. All bets are off. When you take your kids and they are Christian as as you are and you go to church every dang Sunday and you sit down at the supper table or dinner table on Sunday or any time during the week and you 
talk about all the good things that your family does and what they stand for, etc., and what the Bible stands for, however you want to put it, when your kids walk out that door and get on that yellow school bus or you take them down to the schoolhouse and the family truckster and you drop them off and they walk through those schoolhouse doors, they are walking into a completely, completely different world than the world that they know at home. They are dealing with people that have, have no allegiance no allegiance to the country, no moral background, no moral compass, people who don't believe in God, people who are secularist, people who would just see soon as seen all Christians have their heads lopped off like the ones over in the Middle East. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen of America, when you walk into a public school house, your children that is, or a college, they are walking into an environment owned and operated by the liberal, socialist, Marxist, progressive left. Owned and operated. When you hear any damn congressman or senator get up in front of any audience and they are of the Democrat persuasion, one of the first things out of their mouth is we need more money for education. More money for education. You people out there are stingy. We need more money for education to educate your children. You know, ladies and gentlemen, when you look around at the school system here in the United States of America and what it is turning out, i.e. students, graduates, and you look at what they know and don't know, what they don't know is a hell of a higher percentage than what they do know. You know, it's a it's a cry and shame in that our kids have to face this every day. It's a cry and shame that a good kid coming into the indoctrination clinic starting at pre-kindergarten today, they start indoctrinating early today, pre-kindergarten. By the time they're fifth graders or fourth graders, they have already been indoctrinated. And most parents today, like I told that lady, most parents today, for one reason or another, don't pay attention to what little Billy and Mary are being taught. Either they don't care what they're being taught, or they don't have the time because they're too busy keeping up with the Joneses, or some other reason. And their children... When they go home and sit down and do their due diligence of trying to get their homework done that the teacher has assigned to them, have you ever looked at their homework? Have you ever said, uh, Billy, what, did, what were you taught today? What did you learn today in school? Have you ever asked your kids that? Have you ever looked at their homework assignments? Have you ever sat down and read their books? that they're being taught out of, mathematics, whatever. The left has injected socialism and indoctrination in every study. Mathematics, economics, you name it. And you know, while we're on this kick right now of talking about education in the United States, 
And when you run that up the flagpole along with all of this complete dissatisfaction of the majority of the American people today on the right, conservatives, people who have had it with their party leaders, with the Republican National Committee, with their House of Representatives representative and their senators, they've had it. They don't want anything to do with them anymore. And you tie everything else into it. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this country is just about at the bottom of the barrel. You look at all the pluses and compare them to all the negatives this country is working under right now, and the negatives are way ahead of the pack. Our education is no good. It's a non-starter anymore. It's not education. It's indoctrination. Our political system is intact. It's just the people who are operating it who are no good. Both sides of the aisle. I'll give you for instance. John Boehner said, I'm not going to stand here anymore and be part of, I guess, this abuse that he thought he was getting, so I'm getting the hell out. I quit. He went home. Didn't seek re-election, didn't seek anything. I've been here long enough, I'm going home. So who did they nominate? John Boehner Jr., Paul Ryan. Now, Paul Ryan and his lackeys, his people, the uh, status quo Republicans, part of the uh, political cartel up there inside Washington, D.C., the District of Corruption, they all got together and they said, we're going to put this omnibus bill together, this budget, and we're going to give Obama everything he wants. Everything. And they did. And now Paul Ryan is standing up there and he is saying and arguing against the very things that he did. Listen to this. Look, we are all angry. We are all angry that the country is headed in the wrong direction. We're angry we're not doing what we need to do to defeat ISIS. We're angry that we have a porous border. We're angry that people aren't getting raises. We're angry that we've had 2% something growth for 10 years. We're angry that a debt crisis is on the horizon and we've done nothing to fix it because of a progressive president. So yeah, we're angry, but the key here is take that anger and channel it constructively into action. Let's, let's take it and harness it into action. And let's go out and give a positive message, a hopeful message, an optimistic and inspirational message to our fellow citizens in America to tell them that it doesn't have to be this way. That what's happening in this country does not have to continue. We can get better. We can improve things. We can get our country on the right track. And that anger needs to be channeled. And that's what we're trying to say. Ladies and gentlemen, what that man, Paul Ryan, is saying to you, the American public, what he's saying to you, fellow conservatives, what he's saying to you, Republicans, is you're all a bunch of dumbasses. That's what he's saying to you. He's saying that he is up there trying his best. And the Republicans in Congress are trying their best to turn all of this around that's gone down over the last 10 years because of a progressive president. The Republican Party is progressive. They're in bed with Obama. And Paul Ryan is arguing against what he has already done.
and what his predecessor done and what the Republican Party has done. Need I remind you that they own and operate both houses of government, the Senate and the House of Representatives? The House of Representatives controls the purse strings of America, controls the purse strings of any bill that needs money going out. They control the purse strings, yet he stands up there and argues that they can't do anything because Obama, I guess, controls all of it. Hell, he controls them. That's a sorry mess. Then they stand up there and say, more or less, if you read between the lines, just give us another chance. Give us another chance. We told you just give us the Senate in 2014, and by God, you gave it to us, but we couldn't do anything. We had the House of Representatives and the Senate, but we just couldn't do anything. Give us a House and give us the Senate. Now give us the presidency, and we will really do some stuff. They're all liars, ladies and gentlemen. Anybody attached to that bunch up in Congress. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Congress is the largest political whorehouse in the world. And their pimps are the mainstream media. And they sell their wares to dumb-ass Americans who buy into all that rhetoric and hyperbole. And we've been doing it for years. All the while, our school systems is dumbing our children down even more to the point where the children today, the millennials, whatever, think socialism's a great deal. And Bernie Sanders is a fantastic dude. And he's going to give us everything we want. Free education. Free this. Free that. We're going to be socialists by God. And Bernie's going to help us out. He's going to be our dude up there in the White House giving us all the things we want, making all those decisions of hard decisions that we would normally have to take, make ourselves. But Bernie and his people, socialists, why hell, they're going to make them for us. We can just go on out and play like little kids and not have to worry about making any hard decisions at all. Mommy and Daddy government will do it for us. How do you think younger people got to that point? Do you think it just fell on them uh, off of a, a political tree out in the backyard or something? How do you think these millennials got to the point where they believe socialism is fantastic? Well, they look at the Republicans. And they look at the Republicans, and the Republicans aren't any different than the Democrats. And the Democrats and the Republicans have been spewing the same crap for years. Long comes Bernie Sanders and said, I'm a socialist, and I admit it, I'm happy. I, I take my vacations in Moscow. I'm a commie by God, and I'm going to make you all commies with me, and we're all going to live in little commie heaven here on earth. And he says words that resonate with millennials and a lot of older people, too. The very same words that their professors used when they were indoctrinating you as kids. 
18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids in college and your high school teachers, many of them, indoctrinating you in high school. And those words resonate. Those words mean something. They were taught. They were taught those words. They were taught those phrases. Bernie uses them. Hillary uses them. I'm going to build a half a billion solar panels and I'm going to put them everywhere in the United States and we're going to have free electricity. We won't have to rely on them damn old dirty fossil fuels and that coal, etc., etc. Quote Hillary Clinton in Iowa. Paraphrasing, of course. And the millennials and all of you on the left and even some on the right say, oh my God, that would be so great. No more fossil fuels. No more global warming. We can live free and dance free and love free and would this be one great big happy family we can all join arms and sing Kumbaya. Let me remind you, all you folks out there that believe in free energy, etc., believe in solar power, wind power, water power, 11% of the total grid, total electricity is provided by that whole conglomerate of left-wing, on an old pie-in-the-sky technology. A half a billion solar panels Really, Hillary? Where are you going to put them? Where are you going to put them at, Hillary? Are you going to put them on top of cars? On top of houses? Where are you going to put them all? You know, folks, need I remind you that most of your clothes, most of everything that you see in front of you today or use today is made from some extract of fossil fuels. Your televisions, tires on your cars, your wheels, and tires on your bicycles that you ride up and down the road with your stupid little oatmeal-style helmets on your head. Everything that you see around you today, some part of that would be a derivative of fossil fuels. Now, if we stripped all that away, I guess we could all run around naked, sit on a bare floor, a dirt floor, no rugs, no televisions, no cell phones, none of the pleasures of life that you now enjoy would be present in that world. And I guess you could sit there and pretend you're texting. Or maybe you could lose, use sign language since you younger folks don't want to talk anyway. It's a crazy world, ladies and gentlemen. And this election, and I keep saying it, this election, 2016 November, it's going to be the deciding point which fork in the road this country takes. Are we going to continue down the same fork in the road we are in now? And eventually go over the cliff into the uh, cesspool of communism? 
or are we going to take the other fork in the road where we get back to being America again where rugged individualism individualism comes around again where Americans start being Americans and proud of their country again where we the people are in control not the people in D.C. where we wake them up and educate them to the fact that they are working for us not the other way around is that the fork in the road we want? I think it is because America, a lot of America right now it's Republicans saying it we're fed up we've had it we don't want any part of this anymore we're sick and tired of it We've seen the same old crap regurgitated over and over and over again. I just played you a segment from Paul Ryan's lips where he was speaking out against himself. Most politicians will do that when it makes a play to make them sound better. They will blame not themselves, even though they were a part of it, but somebody else. And like I said again, we have two senators running for the Republican nod to be on the ticket for the White House, run for the White House. Two of them. And both of them have been exposed to the tactics that Congress uses against one another. And I'm sure both of them have used them at one time or another. They're aware of them. We've even seen some of those tactics already in play in the campaigns today. It's up to you, America. I mean, hell. But if you're so selfish that you really only think of yourself, if you're so selfish and so withdrawn from reality that you don't see all of this stuff that's going down in America today from education of our young folks to our economy to our military status to our recognition as a world power around the world, if you don't see any of this stuff and don't even consider it impacting you, then America's in big trouble. Big trouble. America as we once knew it is not even here today. It's time, America. It is. It's. I mean, damn it. I've said it many times, but it is time for either us to put up or shut up. Either we take that fork in the road to get our country back, get us out of the ditch, back onto the main road. And as Ross Perot, a lot of you remember Ross Perot way back in the 90s, when he said it's time to clean out the barn. And by God it is. It's time to clean out the barn. We'll be back after a few short messages. Hey, this is Gary Gatehouse. Just a reminder, tune in to Restoration Radio International this weekend and listen to all three of my weekly shows. Don't forget, Restoration Radio International, weekends, Gary Gatehouse, be there. Folks, why won't we?
go to the doctor. My uncle called, speech all slurred, complaining his arms numb. He called everyone. He even called my daughter, Tierra, because, you know, she's got a year of nursing. <laughs> everyone thinks he needs to go to the doctor, including me. So he said, well, will you take me? I'm like, I'm on the road. He goes, I'll wait. <laughs> Stroke's no joke. Dial 911. Time loss is brain loss. Seriously, dial 911. Visit strokesnojoke.org, brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. People who suffer from drug or alcohol addiction sometimes say hurtful things. They drive the people who love them most away. If you know someone who suffers from drug or alcohol addiction, listen. Try to hear what they are really saying. Know that there is hope and help them find their voice again. Mommy. I love you. For drug or alcohol treatment referral for you or someone you know, Call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Now you folks out there today are having a problem, some kind of a problem. All I can say, it's going to be all right. It's all right. Well, it's all All you Donald Trump supporters out there, it's all right. You can sit around and wait for the phone to ring, waiting for someone to tell you everything. Sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring. Maybe a damn. All you folks over there, Restoration Radio International, it's all right. That's right. Maybe somewhere down the road away, you think of me and wonder where I am these days. I wonder where Gary Gatehouse is today. Maybe somewhere down the road when somebody plays. It's all right. It's all right. Gary's doing his thing. And it's all right. Hey, Elvis, I hope your mom and dad are taking care of you. Trade, you and Tony, you got to watch out for Elvis now. Because he knows it's all right. I'm just glad to be here, happy to feel that. And it don't matter if you're by my side. I'm satisfied. Satisfied. Well, it's all All you folks up there in New Hampshire, it's all right. It's all right. All 
all you folks over there in London. We all know it's all right. Heading towards the end of the line, but it's all right. Oh, I love that song. You know, it's just got, uh, there's just something about it that just appeals to me. I don't know what it is, but I guess it's all right. <laughs> you know, folks, Gary Gatehouse gets in front of the microphone on Friday and, uh, you really don't know what's going to go, what's going to go down at two hours and I'm behind the microphone on Friday. Usually the rest of the week it's kind of cut and dry. It's all politics, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to Fridays, like I say, anything goes. And I enjoy the hell out of getting away from politics for a while. And I know you people do too. I know politics, there's a lot of p political junkies, politic is the thing, same thing, it's the big thing on their mind. But even you all have got to take a break once in a while, right? I'm sure you do. Let's take another break. How about it? Folks out there remember dancing to that song. <laughs> Getting down. Hey, give a shout out to all my friends over there on freedominamericaradio.com, Mr. Billy Van Horn and all his staff. I hope you're having a great day, great Friday, getting ready for the weekend, gearing up, getting your Yugos and Ferraris all dusted off and polished up, ready to hit the road.
All you folks up there on the GAL Network up there on Twitter, I hope you're having a great day. Hey, listen, if you ever want to visit Gary Gatehouse up on Twitter, just go in and type in GAL Network. That's where Gary hangs out. Well, you know, folks, we're coming up on the hour. First hour of the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Friday edition. Anything goes, and we're always getting after Lefty. You know that. And uh, I kind of enjoy Fridays because it's kind of a, oh, I don't know, uh, free field. Just whatever I feel like doing. I'm not really uh, tied up with just politics. I love politics. Love my country. But I get tired of talking politics all the time. And like I said earlier, I know you folks get tired of hearing politics all the time. That's why on Fridays, like I say, it's free range. We just do whatever we darn well please. Play a little bit of music, talk talk a little politics. Talk about whatever we want to talk about. After all, I'm sitting here behind the microphone. But I, I you know I've got this innate way of looking at that microphone. And I can see you all out there. I can see you. I can see you folks up there in Sweden. I can see you folks way over there in France, over there in Chateauroux, France. And over there in Paris. And I see all you folks out there in Brindisi, Italy. And up there in Rome. And out there in Pompeii. And all you folks way out there in Denmark. I see y'all. Because I get emails from you. I know you're in there. I know you're listening to the show. And don't you think I don't appreciate it? Because I do. And by the way, if you want to drop old Gary a line, drop me an email. You can do so. It's easy. It's very easy. You can just type in Gary Gatehouse at Hush. H-U-S-H dot com. That will be in the email address. Old Gary uh, goes by, runs by. Gary Gatehouse at Hush, H-U-S-H dot com. Drop me a line. Let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods, whether it be, oh, I don't know, up there in Denmark, Sweden, down in London, up there in Manchester, up there in Dublin, Ireland, wherever. Just drop me a line. I got a couple of emails. This is the truth. I got a couple of emails the other day. I think I mentioned it before. From people that live in China. Now, you folks that live in China that are Christian, I know you're having a rough go of it. I know the uh, communist government there, and all you Americans that don't know that Chinese government is communist, well, they are. They're communist. Just like a lot of folks here in the United States on the left are, or think they are, or want to be, or however it shakes out. But those folks over in China that run the Chinese government have been communists for a long time. And anybody that kind of gets in their way of their communist ideology of complete control of the population, well, they get put down. Used to be they would be put down permanently. That's kind of let up a little bit. But all you folks over there in China, I know you're being persecuted. And I could read between the lines of those two emails because those people know that the Chinese government monitors the Internet. And those people live in China who are dissidents or who are against what China, the Chicoms, the Chinese communists stand for, they're even monitored more so closely than others. I know this. I was in the intelligence community for 31 years. I dealt with Chicoms. I dealt with the Chinese. 
I dealt with the Ruskies. I dealt with the USSR and KGB, the whole nine yards. That was all part of the uh, arena that Gary lived in for 31 years. And if I had the opportunity and constraints of still being tied down by, you can't say this or you can't say that, oh, and if I was Hillary Clinton, I guess I could, and get away with it, this lock, stock, and barrel. Because you see, Hillary can say whatever she wants. She's one of the elite elitist. Way above the elites, she's in a way up there. International elitist. Protected by God, I don't know who. Protected so much that the Republicans, Democrats, the Department of Justice, Barack Hussein Obama Jr. and all his minions are scared to death of her. Scared to death of her. Scared to say anything against her, about her, bad, whatever. Scared to prosecute her, which I know they're not going to do. They're not going to prosecute Hillary Clinton. They're just not going to do it. If they, by some stretch of the imagination they do, it'll be in a very lighthearted way. Smack on the hand. Keep on trucking, Hillary. Run for the president. And uh, like I said before, if that does transpire, all the spoke, all the uh, folks in the intelligence community... All of them that uh, are not constrained by being those who support the Obama administration. Oh, I, you know, I'd elect him the third term if I could, some federal workers have said. If you're not constrained by all that and you're not constrained by the fact that you're a Democrat or a socialist working in the intel community, you know what I'm talking about when I say you folks up there that can never say anything, can never speak out, can never speak your mind because of the constraints of all that stuff that you agreed to when you became an intel officer, an analyst, whatever, linguist, whatever. Get all those different clearances that Hillary abused, but it's going to get away with it, but you can't. You abuse one of them, you're going to go to prison for a long time. You know it. I would think a lot of you folks in the intel community are getting a bit pissed off at what you see and hear when it comes to things about what Hillary's done, when it comes to classified information, etc. You know the whole scenario. I don't have to go there. Like I say, I've served my country 31 years, 31 plus years, as a spook in the intelligence community. And uh, my heart goes out to all you folks that are now operating inside the intelligence community and you see what Hillary's doing, and you know every damn thing she's done is wrong, and you can start adding up the felonies she's accumulated. You can see all the people that she surrounded herself with, classified information, top secret, and above. It don't mean a hill of beans to them. They don't give a damn who listens to it. They don't give a damn about the security of the United States or the people who have to live under maybe someday the boot of some totalitarian government because of all those security service, security clearance slips, as she would like to put them. She made mistake or misspoke or misplaced or I didn't know. I don't know anything about classified information. Are you talking about, you know, cleaning it with a rag or something? What a sorry mess. 
You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Friday edition, Anything Goes, Getting After Lefty, and we will be back for the second hour of the show after the five-minute news. Stand by. You are listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show. Gary will be back after the Fox five-minute news break. Fox News Radio, I'm Kathleen Maloney. Democratic presidential candidates Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders take the debate stage in New Hampshire tonight. Fox News Radio's Bill Marcus joins us live. Kathleen, 800 of the seats here at the University of New Hampshire will go to students. Hoping for one of them, Republican Olivia Odino of Rhode Island, who says she's still undecided. That's kind of why I want to go. I want to, like, see all my options. Um, my whole family is really leaning toward Hil- Hillary, so going to... See what's going on today, I guess. Bernie Sanders planning a rally of supporters before the debate, which is scheduled to start in an hour. One student who's already voted for Sanders absentee telling me that to him, Sanders is the only honest politician in the race. Kathleen? Thanks, Bill. One GOP candidate pounding home the message that the country needs a change. Barack Obama does not support the Constitution, not the way I do not the way you do. He views the Constitution as an outdated document that we need to figure out how to creatively get around. And that's how you get the string of unconstitutional executive orders, the constant onslaught and attack on the Second Amendment. Senator Marco Rubio at a town hall meeting in Manchester, New Hampshire. A possible murder-suicide in Chicago. Police called to a home on the south side by a concerned co-worker. From the outside, they were able to see what they believed to be a body uh, on the floor inside the residence. Acting Superintendent John Escalante says officers went in found five additional bodies, four males, a woman, and a child. No IDs yet, but believed to be members of the same family. Extra police are patrolling the neighborhood. The IRS computer is fully functional, again accepting electronic tax returns and processing refunds, a hardware failure that forced the shutdown of several systems now fixed. You're listening to Fox News Radio. They are in balance. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. Today, my new son and I threw a barbecue. There were burgers and chicken. I burnt everything. The burgers, the chicken, the salad. Ah, They were delicious. They were awful. And then then we had watermelon. (laughs) I'm allergic to watermelon. And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window. Mrs. Wakeham's window. Mrs. Wakeham's windshield. And then, somehow, my hand. My hand! (laughs) And then my dad even let me drive his car. The hospital's on the right! It was a rough day. It was a great day. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of kids in foster care will take you just as you are. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. A member of a 70s super band is dead. Maurice White, founder and one of the lead singers of Earth, Wind & Fire, died in Los Angeles after a long battle with Parkinson's disease. The singer was diagnosed in 1992. In 1994, he quit touring. White began his career as a Sessions drummer. He founded the supergroup in the 60s 
and they went on to sell more than 90 million albums worldwide. The band was known for their flashy outfits and eclectic style. Earth, Wind & Fire won six Grammys and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2000. White was individually inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2010. Michelle Polino, Fox News. Another airbag problem leading to recalls. Continental Automotive Systems says moisture can get into its airbag control computers, causing power supplies to corrode and fail. Then airbags could inflate randomly or not inflate during a crash. Documents filed with and posted by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration say Continental will notify affected automakers, which will then recall these vehicles dating back 10 years. Fiat Chrysler, Honda, and Mercedes have already issued recalls with Honda reporting two injuries. The computers will be replaced at no cost to owners. Chris Foster, Fox News. President Obama having some fun at the White House, welcoming the NBA champion Golden State Warriors and league MVP Stephen Curry. Steph's a pretty good shooter. <laughs> For those of you who watched uh, uh, the game against uh, the Wizards last night, he was, to use uh, slang, uh, he was clowning. The Warriors presenting the president with a team jersey with the number 44 on it, representing his standing as the 44th president of the U.S. I'm Kathleen Maloney, Fox News Radio. Good morning, Vietnam! You're listening to Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, live from the UK. And welcome back to the second era of the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Friday edition, Anything Goes, Getting After Nifty! Well, I hope you folks over there in the UK, down there in London, are having a great Friday, a great weekend. Gary Gatehouse passes along a big thumbs up to all you folks over there in Europe, all you folks over there in the U.K. that are taking it to the streets, taking it to those individuals that are trying to sell your country out, taking it to the streets. You patriots, you brothers and sisters in freedom, God bless every one of you. Hallelujah! It's about time that the people of the United Kingdom, people of England, stand up and tell all their leaders to kiss their backside. Booger off. We've had enough of this crap, and we're not going to take it anymore. We're tired of muzzies running our streets, running around, waping women, you name it. We've had it. You know, I just hope some of that enthusiasm spills over into the United States. But the United States has yet to wake up to the fact that Muslims are no good. They aren't. They're no good. I don't give a damn what anybody says when anybody worships a religion like Islam that advocates going and cutting people's hands and fingers and heads off because they're infidels and will not give in to Islam or refuse to give in and worship a phony god as they call uh, this old dude Muhammad and all that crap. And they got the right, the Quran says they've got the right to go get these infidels and kill them. And that's okay with Muslims? Moderate Muslims never speak out. And like I've said before, when push comes to shove, and the terrorist Muslim, the radical Muslim, has you laying on the floor getting ready to cut your damn head off because you're an infidel, it's going to be the Muslim, the moderate Muslim, that will be holding you down. But alas, here in the United States of America, 
our fearless leader, the limp-wristed, song-and-dance man, the man from Chicago, Chi-Town, the stealth Muslim, the silver-tongued devil, the pupil of Saul Alinsky, Barack Hussein Obama Jr., the guy that has never met a Muslim that he didn't like. Well, he goes out and he hangs around with his brothers and sisters at a mosque in Baltimore, Maryland. A mosque that has been earmarked by, earmarked by the FBI as a mosque that helps the terrorist organizations of, a, of the Middle East. Obama, what's he do? He goes there and he bows down and he tells them how great they are, tells them all the good things that he's been doing and they've been doing for America. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? You know, this guy Obama, the stealth Muslim, and like I said, he speaks to his Muslim brothers and sisters at that mosque in Baltimore. And he goes on to say things like, for more than a thousand years, people have been drawn to Islam's message of peace. Now, Obama said today in a speech, or yesterday in a speech at an Islamic society of Baltimore, that one fact that has not been communicated on a regular basis throughout our media is that for more than a thousand years, people have been drawn to Islam's message of peace. He went on to say, whoever wants to enter paradise, the prophet Muhammad taught, let him treat people the way he would love to be treated. And for Christians like myself, I'm assuming that sounds familiar. What a little wise ass that guy is. What a little wise guy he is. Muhammad is the same one in the Quran that says infidels can be handled two ways by Muslims. You can keep them as slaves or you can kill them. Cut their heads off, cut your hands off, whatever you damn well please if they don't capitulate and sign on to Islam and remain Isla uh, infidels. Go ahead and do it. Whoever wants to enter paradise. The prophet Muhammad taught let him treat people the way he would love to be treated. Well, do you Christians go out and tell Muslims, hey, you don't sign on to the Christian religion. We're going to treat you as infidels, non-Christian, and we're going to crucify you, and we're going to hang you, and we're going to cut your hands off, and we're going to cut your head off, and if you don't come around to being a Christian, we're going to do it to your families, and we're going to do it to your country, and we're going to do it to the world until we own it. Do Christians tell Muslims that? I don't think so. But the wise-ass Obama, he goes on and says, and for Christians like myself, you're not a Christian Obama. You're a damn phony. That's what you are. If anything, if you're not a Muslim and you're not a Christian, you're a freaking atheist posing as a Christian or a Muslim, depending on what piece of terra firma you're standing on or what church or synagogue or mosque you're standing in. You phony little silver-tongued devil. But I want to read you some excerpts from Obama's speech to his brothers and sisters at the Baltimore Mosque. He, he says, this is a moment when, as Americans, we have to truly listen to each other and learn from each other. And I believe it has to begin with a common understanding of some basic facts. And I express these facts 
although they would be obvious to many of the people in this place, that mosque, because unfortunately it's not facts that are communicated on a regular basis through our media. Now he wants the media to be the conduit to get the uh, message of Islam out to the American people. Use media, I guess in his own mind's eye, to convert the American people from Christianity to Islam, the religion of peace, as he calls it. So he goes on to say, so let's start with this fact. For more than a thousand years, people have been drawn to Islam's message of peace. And the very word itself, Islam, comes from shalom, peace. The standard greeting is shalom alaikum, peace be upon you. And like so many faiths, Islam is rooted in a commitment to compassion and mercy and justice and charity. Tell that to all those people that were herded into cages and set on fire because they were Christians. Tell that to all those men that were taken out on the shores of Tripoli and their heads were cut off because they were Christians, cut off and burned by Muslims, the practicers of Islam, the religion of peace. Tell them people that, Mohammed. Tell them people that, Mohammed Jr., Obama. Tell them that. He goes on to say, the stealth Muslim goes on to say, and for Christians like myself, I'm assuming that sounds familiar, patriots, patriots, Americans, Christians. The stealth Muslim Obama is as much a Christian as religion of Islam is the religion of peace and tolerance. My God, America, don't let this guy hoodwink you. Don't let this guy hoodwinking you into the uh, his fact, as he puts it, that Muslims and Islam are peaceful people. They're not. They're not. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I, I've seen this listed on the Internet, and I'm going to go down through a few of them. And before I do it, I would like to thank the fellow Mark J for putting this all together. Thank you, Mark. It was you, Obama, who told an Islamic dinner, I'm one of you. It was you on ABC News referenced by my Muslim faith. It was you who gave $100 million in United States taxpayer funds to rebuild foreign mosques. It was you, Obama, that wrote that in the event of a conflict, I will stand with the Muslims. It was you, Obama, who assured the Egyptian foreign minister that I am a Muslim. It was you, Obama, who bowed in submission before the Saudi, before the Saudi king. We, we've seen pictures of that. Bowing down so far down he could kiss his own ass almost. It was you, Obama, who sat for 20 years in a liberation theology church ran by Reverend Wright condemning Christianity and professing Marxism. It was you, Obama, who exempted Muslims from penalties under Obamacare that the rest of us Americans, us Christians, and other faiths had to pay. It was you who purposely admitted, endowed by our Creator, from your recitation of the Declaration of Independence. Yes, Obama, that was you. It was you who mocked the Bible in Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount while repeatedly referring to the Holy Koran. It was you, Obama, who traveled, who traveled to the Islamic states and purposely apologized for America. 
denigrating the United States of America. It was you, Obama, who instantly, instantly threw the support of your administration behind the building of the Ground Zero Victory Mosque overlooking the hollowed crater of the World Trade Center brought down by Muslims that crashed planes and leveled the Trade Center. It was you who refused to attend a national prayer breakfast, but hastened to host an Islamic prayer breakfast at the White House. Yes, Obama, that was you. It was you who ordered both Georgetown University and Notre Dame to shroud all vestiges of Jesus Christ before you would agree to go there to speak, but in contrast, you have never requested that mosque you have visited adjust their decor. That was you, Obama. It was you who appointed anti-Christian fanatics to your czar corps. That was you, Barack Hussein Obama Jr. It was you who appointed rabid Islamists to homeland security, which they still remain. It was you who said that NASA's foremost mission was an outreach to Muslim communities, a space agency. And you said their foremost mission was an outreach to Muslim communities. Yes, Obama, that was you. Those were your words. It was you, as an Illinois senator, were the only individual who would speak in favor of an emphasize. That was you, Obama. That was your words. It was you who were the first president not to give a Christian greeting from the White House. That was you, Obama. That was you. You know, ladies and gentlemen of America, we could go on and on. It was you, Obama, who as an Illinois senator, who refused to recognize anything but your communist brothers and sisters in the political arena. It was you who, when queried in India, refused to acknowledge the true extent of radical global jihadists, instead profusely praised Islam in a country that is 82% Hindu and the victim of numerous Islamic terrorist assaults. It was you, Barack Hussein Obama Jr., who funneled $900 million in United States taxpayer money to Hamas. It was you who ordered the USPS to honor the Muslim holiday with a new commemorative stamp. Yes, Obama, that was you. It was you who had directed our UK embassy to conduct outreach to help empower the British Muslim community. It was you, Obama, who embraced the fanatical Muslim Brotherhood in your quest to overthrow the Egyptian president, Ansar Mubarak. It was you who funded mandatory Arabic language and culture studies in grammar schools across our country, the United States of America, 80-plus percent Christian. It was you who funded that mandatory Arabic language and cultural studies in our grade schools and grammar schools in the United States of America. Yes, Obama, that was you. It is you who follows the Muslim custom of not wearing any form of jewelry during Ramadan. Yes, we do notice that. We do know when Ramadan's being celebrated. We do know what Ramadan's all about. And we have noticed that during Ramadan, sometimes you disappear for a while. We have noticed that when you go places to do business with other men, your wife does not come along. A Muslim trait, if you will. 
It is you, Obama, who departs for Hawaii over the Christmas season so as to avoid past criticism for not participating in seasonal White House religious events. It was you, Obama, who was uncharacteristically quick to join the chorus of the Muslim Brotherhood to depose of Jose Mubarak, formerly America's strongest ally in North Africa, but remain muted in your non-response to the Brotherhood-led slaughter of Egyptian Christians. That was you, Obama. That was you, Barack Hussein Obama Jr. It was you who attended school in Indonesia where your school records listed your religion as Islam. That was you, Obama, nobody else. That was you. It was you, while living in Indonesia, attended the mosque with your stepfather on Fridays while attending a Muslim religious school as demanded by the Koran. It was you appointed as your chief advisor, Valerie Jarrett, who is a member of the Muslim Sisterhood, an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. It was you who allowed Valerie Jarrett Obama, it was you who allowed Valerie Jarrett, born in Iran, to negotiate a secret treaty with Iran that would allow them to continue developing nuclear weapons without fear of further sanction by the U.S. Kamarada Jarrett was born in Iran, by the way. It was you, Barack Hussein Obama, Jr., who freed five highly-ranked Muslim terrorists from Gitmo without giving Congress a 30-day notice as required by law. You signed in exchange for a United States soldier who was a deserter and a convert to Islam. That was you, Obama. That was you and your regime. It was you who brought hordes of Muslim refugees to the United States to bring supported to, to being supported by taxpayers while ignoring Christian refugees who were being slaughtered and beheaded by Muslims. It was you, Obama, who approved the change in the United States military code to allow men to grow Taliban-like beards and to wear turbans. Is there any doubt left? Is there any doubt left? After going through this whole litany of things Obama has done for Muslims, that Barack Hussein Obama Jr. is a Sunni Muslim from Kenya, just like his alcoholic Marcus father was. It is left to us, America, to come around and understand what really occupies the White House. It's not a Christian. It is probably a Muslim. And at the very least, it is an atheist. By no stretch of the imagination is he a Christian. And again, I would like to give a big thank you to Mark J., who compiled that list. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, before we go to break, the last thousand years, I hearken back to the seventh century. Now, Obama said the last thousand years, Muslims have been the religion of peace. From the day they were born, the Muslim religion till now, a religion of peace. Let me hearken back to the 7th century when Muslim hordes were knocking on the doors of Rome, hell-bent on destroying Europe and taking over their war, taking over all of Europe. Their war on infidels, Christians, religion of peace? I don't think so. Obama, what the hell are you? And have you been smoking the last umpteen years? I, for one, will never be, I will, I, for one, will be so overjoyed 
when you pack your prayer rug for the last time and get your Muslim sympathizing ass out of the people's house. And oh, by the way, Obama and your whole damn horde of people that are Muslim ass kissers, don't let the door hit you and your Muslim ass on the way out. You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on FreedomInAmericaRadio.com. We'll be back after a few short messages. As a fitness professional, I've always lived a healthy lifestyle. I was 46 years old when a mammogram helped find my breast cancer and saved my life. All my friends said, if you can get cancer, anyone can. Keeping my mammogram appointment was one of the best decisions I ever made. I would have missed my son's wedding and so many other things if I hadn't. No matter what you've heard, breast cancer experts recommend women get annual mammograms starting at age 40, even those with no family history of the disease. The majority of women diagnosed in their 40s have no family history or other factors that make them at high risk. Mammograms can catch cancer early, when it's most treatable, and have helped cut the breast cancer death rate by nearly a third since 1990. That's why you should continue yearly mammograms. Please, talk to your doctor about a mammogram today. Mammography saves lives. One of them may be yours. Visit mammographysavelives.org. I was driving down the highway texting my friend, telling her that I was going to be there in five minutes. I looked up and I realized I wasn't on the highway anymore, and I totaled my car. It doesn't matter if you're texting, if you have been drinking all night, if you're just changing, you know, trying to find the song that you want to listen to. Distracted driving is deadly driving. Liberty Council is a litigation, education, and policy organization established to preserve and advance religious freedom, the sanctity of human life, and the family. We have offices in various places around the United States and affiliate attorneys in all 50 states, plus a major outreach in the nation of Israel. Don't get discouraged about what's happening in our country and around the world. Get encouraged. Get on your knees in prayer and get involved. Stand with us in preserving our Judeo-Christian values. Visit lc.org. You're listening to the Getting After Lefty Show with your host, Gary Gatehouse. Broadcasting from South Texas, shining the light of truth on the socialist left. Well, welcome back to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Friday edition, Anything Goes. Getting After Lefty, as we all know, Gary Gatehouse does 24-7. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we have a commander in Trump who's about as phony as they go. I don't know which is more phony, him or Hillary. They are two phony individuals that have no moral compass. They're devoid of any morals whatsoever. No conscience. And if you look at the way they conduct themselves in public, you look at the way they speak, their body language, how they move their face, their hands, they have no 
idea what they're, what's really coming out of their mouth. They're so programmed to say all the right things for the right people that they buy into that it just comes out. It just comes out. Obama, of course, uses a teleprompter even with little 8th graders. But who writes that stuff for him? He has to believe it or he wouldn't say it or would he? But you know, he comes to the prayer breakfast after visiting a mosque and telling those Muslims in that mosque in Baltimore of how he appreciates all the great accomplishments Muslims have done for America. They haven't done a damn thing. And he knows it. And he comes to the prayer breakfast. And again, if you read between the lines, he is chastising Christians that are assembled in that room for the prayer breakfast. He's chastising Christians throughout the United States for being just Christian. And he speaks as though he is a Christian of upstanding, a Christian that knows the Bible inside and out, a Christian that believes in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You ever see him go to church? Do you ever see him speak well? of the Christian religion? Do you ever hear him speak of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in a positive manner? Do you ever hear him speak of Christians as the majority in America? Hell no, you don't. And if you happen to, you might hear him speak in, I guess you could say, positive terms about Christians at a prayer breakfast once a year. But he always manages to get the digs in. If you read between the lines, even at the prayer breakfast. Now at the prayer breakfast, he stood up and said, and I quote, Jesus is a good cure for fear. Citing his own fears as president, and as a parent, President Obama said Thursday that the fear can, can consume us. And its consequences can be the worse than any outward threat. But a good cure for fear is Jesus. He went on to say, if we let it consume us, are you reading between the lines? He went on to say, if we are letting it consume us, he's talking about fear, the consequences of that fear can be worse than any outward threat. For me, and I know for so many of you, faith is the great cure for fear. Jesus is a good cure for fear. Obama said all this in a speech at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C., the District of Corruption. Obama quoted to Timothy as the scripture he's been reflecting on and praying about lately. Oh, really, Obama? You've been reflecting and praying about lately? Timothy too? Really? He goes on to say on this occasion, the prayer breakfast, I always enjoy reflecting on a piece of scripture that's been meaningful to me or otherwise sustained me throughout the year. And lately I've been thinking and praying on a verse from 2 Timothy. And he goes on to say, 2 Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind, he said. Fear does funny things. Fear can lead us to lash out against those 
Here it comes. Here it comes. Fear does many things, Obama said. Fear can lead us to lash out against those who are different or lead us to try to get some sinister other than under control. Alternatively, fear can lead us to succumb to despair or paralysis or cynicism. Who do you think he's talking about? Who? What word would you inject in there? Maybe Islamophobia? A word generated by the left? Maybe that might fit right in there somewhere. Then he said fear can feed our most selfish impulses and erode the bonds of a community. It is a primal emotion, fear, one that we'll all, we all experience, and it can be contagious, spreading through societies, through nations. And if we let it consume us, the consequences of that fear can be worse than any outward threat, Obama said. For me, and I know for so many of you, faith is a great cure for fear. Jesus is a good cure for fear. God gives believers the power, the love, the sound mind required to conquer any fear and what more important moment of, for that fear than right now, Obama said, as he just got done speaking to his brothers and sisters in the mosque and praising them with this. If you've seen the videos of that, his face was so lit up and so emotional, and you could just see him pouring out to his brothers and sisters in the mosque, uh, reuniting with them and uniting with them and, and conversing with them and loving it and wrapping his spindly little arms around them. Then he comes to the prayer breakfast and he talks about fear and how that could consume us, we the people, I guess. Then he goes on to say, what better time than these changing times to have Jesus standing beside us, steadying our minds, cleansing our hearts, pointing us towards what matters. His love gives us the power to resist fear's temptations, Obama said. He gives us the courage to reach out to others across that divide rather than push people away. Are you reading between the lines? I hope you are. I hope you understand where he's really coming from. Because we know that he could give one big hoot about Christians. We know that he could give one big hoot about America. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, the man, like I said, is morally bankrupt. Is morally bankrupt. And his religion, the Muslim religion, says, and it teaches the followers of Islam, you can lie through your teeth as long as your lies further the cause of Islam. And I think Obama is cashing in on what the Quran said. He's lying through his teeth when he talks about Jesus Christ. And I don't give a damn what anybody says about what I'm saying now. But you know, ladies and gentlemen, he goes on to say, Jesus gives us the courage to go against the conventional wisdom and stand up for what's right even when it's not popular to stand up, not just to our enemies, but sometimes stand up to our friends, Obama said. God gives us the fortitude 
to sacrifice ourselves for a larger cause or to make tough decisions, knowing that we can only do our best, less of me, more of God, and then to have the courage to admit our failings and our sins while pledging to learn from our mistakes and try to do better. Really, Obama, have you ever admitted your failings and your sins? Have you ever admitting doing anything wrong, you narcissist pig? He goes on to say, certainly during the course of this enormous privilege to have served as a president of the United States, that's what faith has done for me. It helps me deal with the common fears that we all fear, he said. The main fear Obama said he is dealing with right now is that his children are growing up too fast. He's not afraid of the United States being attacked by some of his terrorist Muslim brothers and sisters. Oh, no, he's not afraid of that. He's not scared of that. He's afraid of dealing with his children growing up too fast. That's a big fear of his. He goes on to say they're leaving, and that's a tough deal. And so as a parent, you're worrying about where will some harm befall them. How are they going to manage without you? Did you miss some central moment in their lives? Will they call or text, he asked. Well, if they can get a hold of you out on the golf course, maybe. Maybe all those years that they were growing up and you were spending times and butt slapping with your buddies out on the golf course and in the bathhouses, maybe they could have talked to you about some things. Those days are gone, aren't they, Obama? He went on to say his faith also instructs him not to fear death. Because God promises everlasting life. Or if he's talking from the other side of the book, the Koran, he can cash in on the seven, 70 virgins. That might be a good thing for you, Obama, to kind of tuck under your hat and pray on your prayer rug eventually that you'll end up with a few of those, huh? He said, my faith tells me that I need not fear death that the acceptance that Christ promises everlasting life and that the washing away of sins. If Scripture instructs me to put on the full armor of God so that when trouble comes, I am able to stand, then surely I can face down these temporal setbacks. You stated yourself, when the you-know-what hits the fan, you're going to side with the Muslims. You stated that in your book, Barack Hussein Obama Jr. You did not say in your book that if, if the crap ever hits the fan, you were going to stand with Jesus Christ and Christians to face up to whatever was coming down the pike. No, you said you would cash in and stand with your brothers and sisters of Islam. It's in the book, folks. Read it. He said, I'm able to stand then. Surely I can face down these setbacks. Surely I can battle back doubts. Surely I can rouse myself to action. Really? The only action you've ever roused yourself is getting your tired ass out of bed, loading up your golf cart, and going out and hit a little white ball around a green course, or going out and blowing smoke up America's backside. That's about all you have ever roused yourself up to do, or jump on the Air Force One and fly your ass around the country on some damn vacation every two or three months. You're a loser! That's exactly what you are. But he said, even if his faith wavers, he can draw strength from people of all faiths around the world who do the Lord's work. 
And should that faith waver, should I lose my way? I have a drawn strength, not only from a remarkable wife, not only from incredible colleagues and friends, Valerie Jarrett for one, maybe, but I have a drawn strength from witnessing all across this country and all across the world good people of all faiths who do the Lord's work each and every day, who wield that power and love and sound mind to feed the hungry and heal the sick, to teach our children and welcome the stranger, he said. Patriots, patriots. Some will say you've been mighty harsh on Obama in this commentary. To those people, I don't give a damn what you say. But I say this, patriots, the stealth Muslim, is right. Fear can be cured by faith in our Lord and Savior. And my fears, I pray each night that somehow the Republican leadership stands up for we the people. That the Republican leadership somehow finds a way to overcome their fear of Obama and political correctness. I pray that those in Congress start being Americans once again and stop being power hungry. I pray that somehow the Republican Party has enough spine to tell Obama once and for all, no, I fear that Obama a habitual liar and a hater of America who tries to pass himself off as a Christian when all the while he stands with his Muslim brothers and sisters, adores them, speaks so nicely of Islam, phony faith. I pray that America will wake up and recognize Obama for what he really is, a phony, a liar, a hater of America, and a damn sure is not a Christian. You know, patriots, I'm tired of Obama wrapping his spindly arms around the Muslims proclaiming that they've done and are doing America good and that they have contributed to the well-being of our country when we Americans who pay attention know they have done nothing, absolutely nothing. Obama speaks of the Lord's work and he only speaks of it once per year at the prayer breakfast if then. He is a phony, ladies and gentlemen, and most Americans who know he cannot be trusted. Anything he says or does, we know that Obama is a phony, lying, non-American, hate-American individual that will side. He has said it in his book. He will, when push comes to shove and times get bad, he will side with his brothers, the Muslims. This is Gary Gatehouse, and we'll be back after a few short messages. Every day, nearly 4,000 unborn children are denied life and love. National Right to Life is working to change that. For more than 30 years, National Right to Life has worked through education and legislation to make sure that every child is given the opportunity to share their love, their gifts, and their talents with the world. Our work now is more critical than ever. Respect for life is being attacked on all fronts and at all stages, from the tiniest unborn child to the medically dependent and disabled to our elderly citizens. It is the support of our members, pro-life men and women from across the country, that helps to advance our cause. Join with National Right to Life and countless other pro-life men and women and make a unified stand for life. This has been a Perspective on Life from National Right to Life. For more information, visit our website www.nrlc.org That's nrlc.org You're listening to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on the GAL Network 
the flagship station of the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, coming to you from South Texas. I had PTSD. Once I was back from Iraq, I was distant from everybody in my family. We had a reunion of our unit, and you'd hear these spouses say, is your husband doing that? My husband's doing that too. I thought it was just us. And really understanding that, hey, this is a common experience. I learned more to listen to what he was saying, and that made it easier for me to understand where his pain was coming from. Warriors should know that resources are available. Learn more at realwarriors.net. All right, it's time to get on the Gary Gatehouse radio show, getting after Lefty Love Train. First stop, single, we're going to stop and pick up old Stephen Lang and all his mates. All you folks here at the station, now when you get on, I'll take your ticket. Yeah, thanks, Billy Bob and Carl. Get on. Turn to the right. Go all the way down. Last car down is the club car. They've got Lone Star Beer. They've got Double Diamond. They've got the best bitters coming out of London, England. They've got the best beer coming out of Germany. So go on down there, find you a table, and start swilling that beer down. I think Trade Martin and his lovely wife down there, Tony, they're already down there. Trade's picking on the guitar. Elvis is down there checking things out. Come on, get on board. Here we go. Come on, Jan, get on there to your right. Billy Van Horn's down there somewhere, along with Mr. V. They're all down there. Ricky Rasmussen, how you doing? Glad you could get on board. She's from South Africa, you know. She does our voice on the Gary Gatehouse radio show. That's right, Miss Ricky Rasmussen. Bad looking lady, either. <laughs> Come on now. Train's leaving the station. Love Train, Gary Gatehouse. Getting after Lefty Friday. Broadcasting to you from a bright and sunny day down here in South Texas. I'm going to take my car hot riding down the road this weekend. Got it all planned out. Going to have a great time, and I hope you have a great time too, folks. It's the weekend! The weekend! Love train. Friday in America. Friday in the free world. The weekend is here. Don't forget to listen to the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show on Restoration Radio International all weekend. I read an outstanding piece here today. It was talking about something that most Americans shy away from talking about. And if you do talk about it, you're accused of homophobia. But there are a few of us out there that don't give a damn what people call us, Gary Gatehouse being one of them. 
And I'm just reporting to you what the news says. I'm just reporting to you what the news says. You can make up your own mind and your own judgments, whatever you want to call it. The headline reads, Homosexual men, which constitute 2%, 2% of the population here in America, 2%, but 67% of all new HIV cases. Homosexual men, 2% of the United States population, that's all, that's all that consists of, 2%, but they carry 67% of all new HIV cases. You know, although homosexuals or men who have sex with other men make up only about 2% of the United States population, they account for 67% of all new HIV diagnoses. And this is according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, a government organization. In addition, there are about 1.2 million people in the United States with HIV, the virus that causes AIDS and an estimated 647,700 or 54% of these people are homosexual. Homosexual. The 67% of all new HIV cases is for the year 2013 and the 54% living with HIV is for the year 2011. Those are the latest years that they have numbers on according to the CDC for that particular data anyway. Now, among some of the other facts about HIV-AIDS, as reported by the CDC, these facts are about 50,000 people become newly affected each year in the United States. More than 14,000 people with AIDS in the United States die each year. More than 650,000 people with AIDS in the United States have died since the epidemic started in the early 1980s. Now, I have a question about this. It's not a comment, it's a question. My question is this, America. If homosexuals make up 2% of the population of America, how are homosexuals, how do they command so much damn attention? Why do they, as a minuscule group, wield so much power in social media, government, Congress, Hollywood? Why in the hell do homosexuals and their perverted lifestyle that they insist we all must acknowledge as and proclaim it as being a normal lifestyle, why in the hell do these people command and get so much recognition? Why are we told that we have to recognize them for what they are and say, yeah, that's fine and good, even if it flies in the face of our Christian religion? We are, we are chastised as Christians if we denounce homosexuality. 67% have HIV. Each year, this thing has come out year after year. It's a perverted lifestyle. God never intended for men to lay with women, with, excuse me, with men, or women to lay with women. Not same packages. They don't match up, do they? No, they don't. But yet, when somebody like Gary Gatehouse or anybody that stands up and says this is a perverted lifestyle, this is not what God teaches us in the Bible, we're the ones that catch all the hell for it. And the people that carry AIDS, the people that continue it, uh, march down the road of being expanded in America, HIV, 
The very people that carry it, for the most part, the majority, homosexuals, well, they're praised. They're loved. They, they are understood. They're embraced. They're some fantastic people. Maybe some of them are. I don't know. But I damn sure don't want to sign on and say, yeah, their lifestyle's normal. A man laying with a man having sex? Yeah, that's normal. It's just another way of expressing their love. Yeah, two men or two women? Yeah, they can go out and get married. No, they can't have kids because their packages won't allow them to. But they can get married and they can go adopt kids or get artificially inseminated. And that's just so beautiful and so lovely. Flies in the face of the Christian religion. But I dare say there are many Christian religion, Christian churches in the United States that bend over backwards to recognized homosexuals and give them all the love they can and throw the Bible out the window. Their congregation signs on to same-sex marriage. Their congregation signs on to homosexual men, homosexual women. And their congregations, oh yeah, they recognize it as something, just another lifestyle. Not perverted in any way. Not against the Christian religion. Not against the teachings of God in the Bible. No, 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 no. We must understand. We must not judge. We must not point the finger at these people. Many Christians have fallen into the ditch on that. Society in America has beat us about the head so much that a lot of people have given in. The federal government has passed federal laws that says we, as an American people, as 80% of America is Christian, must recognize and we must give in and serve those homosexuals that want catering, cakes made. I'm just using those as examples. And if you don't do it, by God, and they bring a, a, a suit against you, we're going to sue you, we're going to close down your business. And we're going to chastise you as homophobes. And we don't give a damn what your Bible says. All you folks that cling to your Bible and guns. Don't you think it's about time that we Christians stand up for what our Holy Bible teaches us? I do. But then again, I, I guess I'm just a guy whistling past the graveyard. I don't know. It seems to me that America today, whether you're Christian or not, a lot of things that are written in stone, Ten Commandments otherwise, in the Bible, just don't make it anymore in our society. Just don't resonate. A lot of people jump on the bandwagon and say, I'm a Christian. I'll be the first to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Gatehouse is a Christian. But I'm a Christian that is a fallen away Christian, if you will. I don't go to church every Sunday. But I honor what God says. I honor the Bible. I try to lead my life as close as I can. And I'll be the first to say I am not the one who's going to be throwing rocks at a glass house. I'm just the biggest sinner as anybody it's ever been. But I still recognize the fact that my God is my God. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is my Savior. And what he says, and he's passed along through his disciples, down through the ages, through the Bible, his teachings, I sign on to. 
but I'm also an avid supporter of the Old Testament as well. And you can take that for what it's worth. I think that's where my rowdiness comes from. Because you see, in the Old Testament, Christians didn't let anybody push them around. And that's the way I feel about the whole thing, and you can take that to the bank. paramedic and it may sound silly but a lot of people are afraid to call me when they're experiencing chest pain what's a call 911 if they're with someone experiencing chest pain you know why because they think it would be embarrassing if it were a false alarm instead people risk permanent damage or death because they're afraid they might get a lecture that's ridiculous so if you have an uncomfortable pressure fullness squeezing or pain in the center of the chest that lasts more than a few minutes call me if you have a pain that spreads to the shoulders neck or arms call me if you have any discomfort in your chest with lightheadedness, fainting, sweating, nausea, or shortness of breath, call me. If you have any of these symptoms or are with someone who does, dial 911 right away. And if it is a false alarm, I'm not going to give you a lecture. I'll be happy to see you. To learn more about heart attack warning signs, call the American Heart Association at 1-800-AHA-USA-1 or visit us on the web at AmericanHeart.org. Well, the old clock on the wall says the second hour is just about done. Man, just when we start to have some fun, dang it. Well, we'll be back Monday and we can just start the whole process all over again. Now, before I close the show today, there was a bunch of hoopla during the Iowa caucus about Ben Carson being shortchanged by Ted Cruz, etc. Breitbart News has reported that they have new audio and they obtained it exclusively. Breitbart News indicates that as the Iowa caucus began on Monday night, as the Iowa caucus began on Monday night, the Senator Ted Cruz, Republican from Texas, 97% uh, of the precinct captains were called, informing them that Dr. Ben Carson was suspending campaigning and instructing them to tell voters they should not waste a vote on Ben Carson and vote for Ted Cruz. This is coming from Breitbart News, which a lot of you people believe in as gospel. Gary Gatehouse is only reporting what Breitbart News has said. The calls were, re- were placed after the Carson campaign had already clarified that Carson was not suspending his campaign. Nancy Bleisman, a precinct captain for Cruz in Crawford County, Iowa, told Breitbart News that she received two voicemails, one at 7.07 p.m. Central Standard Time and one at 7.29 p.m. on the night of the Iowa caucuses, which began at 7. The first call came from a woman with a phone number out of Galveston, Texas, at 7.07 p.m. And here's the transcript from that audio. A little bit of it was inaudible. From the Ted Cruz campaign, calling to get it to get to a precinct captain, and it has just been announced that Ben Carson is taking a leave of absence from the campaign trail. So it is very important that you tell any Ben Carson voters that for tonight, uh, that they not waste a vote on Ben Carson and vote for Ted Cruz. He is taking a leave of absence from his campaign. All right. 
Thank you. Bye. The second voicemail was at, was left at 7.29 p.m. from an Iowa phone number that Breitbart News traced back to a Cruise Campaign volunteer hotline. Hello, this is the Cruise Campaign with breaking news. Dr. Ben Carson will be garbled, suspending campaigning following tonight's caucus. Please inform any ca- uh, Carson, Carson caucus goers of the news and urge them to caucus for Ted Cruz instead. Thank you. Good night. My precinct people voted without hearing that rumor that Carson would be suspending his campaign, Bleisman told Breitbart News. Ben Carson did get his votes in our precinct because I didn't take the calls. But ladies and gentlemen, Breitbart News came across and they got this recording. What do you think? Do you think Ted Cruz and his bunch was up to no good? Who knows? It's up to you, the American people to realize and to make your own judgment. The revelation about Cruz's campaign calls and voicemails voicemails came after an email surfaced from Cruz Deputy Iowa Campaign Director Spence Rogers sent at 6.56 p.m., four minutes before caucuses beginning, began suggesting that Carson would be taking time off from his campaign trail after Iowa and making a big announcement next week. The email told the supporters, please inform any caucus goers of this news and urge them to caucus for Ted Cruz. Like I said before, ladies and gentlemen, you can take a senator out of Washington, D.C., but you can't take Washington, D.C. out of a senator. Well, what does that mean, Gary? Go back and listen to the first part of my show. I explained it all, and I'm not going to explain it again. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's a sorry damn mess when this all went down in Iowa. Ben Carson is a nice guy, and he deserves the recognition and the votes from his caucus goers without hesitation. But it seems somebody threw a wrench in the the whole works and tried to undermine Ben Carson caucus goers and switch him to Ted Cruz. I don't know how much of an impact that had, but it's the whole exercise that is alarming, isn't it? And I'll say it one more time before I sign off. You can take the senator out of Washington, D.C., inside the Beltway, and all that goes with it inside the hollowed halls of Congress, on the Senate floor, the backstabbing, the hiding in cloak, uh, making deals in uh, smoke-filled rooms in the cloakroom, whatever. You can take that, but you can't take D.C. out of the senator. This is Gary Gatehouse with the Gary Gatehouse Radio Show, Friday edition of the Getting After Lefty Show. Wishing you all a great weekend. we got a lot coming up this weekend. Super Bowl, then we got uh, another debate coming up. And a whole bunch coming up oh, as far as the campaign trail and voting in New Hampshire, etc. It's going to be an exciting week. So uh, Gary Gatehouse is going to gear up for it. And hopefully we'll have some uh, really outstanding uh, ruffle some feathers out there. Shake it up. Get the liberals running wild. And get all those folks up in D.C. The status quo uh, spymists hide under their desk. Republican leadership. Maybe shake them up as well. Especially Paul Ryan. I can't stand the man. He is standing there lying to the American people just as much as his, pre- as his predecessor, John Boehner. He's just John Boehner Jr. all over again. Until Monday, 
This is Gary Gatehouse wishing you all a great weekend, a safe weekend. Say a prayer for our military. Say a prayer for their families. Say a prayer for our country. Until Monday, good day.